as a, both a pastor and as a parent, um, those events that have been unfolding in Paris have my attention. And for the last several years, one of the things that we, as we pray about what topics to take on, one of the ones that's been on the, more than the back of my mind has been jihad and Islam. And if you're feeling like 2016 might be a time for us to talk about that as a church family, what does it mean to have a God-honoring response to these things that we're seeing? If you'd like to have that as something for us to press into, um, why don't you take a minute and write that on the connection card or send me an email and just let me know because we are in the process of putting together our sermon topics for next year and this might be one for us to, to bump up on the list. Well, when you are a pastor, you see almost everything through that lens, including a lot of things that happen in life. Uh, for a lot of us, life is one big sermon illustration, which my kids don't mind anymore because there was this pastor that we were talking and, and, and he said, yeah, when, whenever I use my family um, in a sermon illustration, they each get five bucks. And so <laughs> my kids heard about that and they're like, yes, yes. And, and it's like, you owe me 10 right now, Dad, so <laughs> we got a cha-ching. Well, it, well, we're going to talk about this, and this illustration I'm going to use is right here, this object lesson. But before we get into the object lesson, I want to tell you a little bit about the series that we're in because then the object lesson is going to make a lot more sense. So the series we're in is called Hard Words. It's about those hard conversations that we all need to have. You don't need to talk about easy words, right, because they're easy. It's easy to have an easy conversation. If your son comes home with a great report card, that is an easy conversation. If your daughter makes the varsity team, that is a easy conversation. If you get a promotion at work, you might pick up the phone the first chance you get. It is fun to be a good news bringer, right? And it's easy. But what about the hard words? What about those times where you've got something hard that you need to say? And you know it's hard because the hard message you need to bring is going to be a hard message to receive. What do you do then? How do you have the right conversation the right way? Well, this broken fire extinguisher right here is a vivid illustration of what can happen inside a home because today we're going to put this hard words into the home context. This is going to talk about, uh, this is an illustration of what can happen in a home when we don't handle a hard conversation the right way. Now, those sitting close, you might notice that something is missing from this fire extinguisher, and that something that's missing is just the entire top of the fire extinguisher. That is missing. And here's the story. Several weeks ago, I was asleep, and I heard a loud noise. Boom. And so I didn't know what the boom meant, and I was groggy, and I'm thinking, well, we got this dog, this little dog, Buddy, and he's not the most uh, graceful creature in the world, and I'm thinking maybe he fell out of bed or something like that. So I listen, I don't hear any more noise or anything like that, so I, I go back to sleep. Well, the next morning, I walk down my stairs, and there's what feels like sheetrock dust on the floor. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would there be sheetrock dust on our, our floor? Well, I investigate, and I found ground zero, and at the center of ground zero was this. Now, this picture is after we did some cleaning. We got a couple pictures here off of my, my phone. This is after we did some cleaning. Um, I had no idea how much stuff they pack into these, right? It thinks to stay back 10 feet. So at night, the top had blown off, and this Mount St. Helens eruption happened in our basement, and the fallout from this explosion was everywhere. 
It was all before. Now, this room, we have a small house, so this room is a slash room, right? It's our laundry room, so all our clothes and our, in the laundry machine and all that kind of stuff. We've got a refrigerator in there, so refrigerator's all full of this stuff. We've got a pantry in there, so every single can, bag of food is all covered. It's an exposed rafter, so every single pipe, every single wire has got a coating on top of it. This cloud had kind of made its way in to the furnace, which sucked it up and kicked it into the house. So this is an absolute mess. Well, Laura calls a professional cleaning service to get a quote, and they said, we can't handle this. You have to call the disaster relief wing of our department if you want help with this thing. Laura contacts the company who made these fire extinguishers, and they had been recalled. They had been recalled because something was broken. That little small opening at the top, about the size of a human mouth, see where I'm going with this, was broken. And when something like that is broken, it can affect everything around it. Our topic is hard words. You don't have to be a pastor to see where we're going with this, right? I would suspect every person in this room has experienced a time when a hard conversation didn't go well. There was something bottled up inside of somebody, and it was pressurized. And when it exploded, it was messy. It might have been costly. You might have had to bring in the pros to help. And no matter how much you try to clean things up, for years and years and years, there's that residue, isn't there, that's still there. You know, and perhaps today your home is a mess right now when it comes to hard conversations. My hope today, my sincere hope today, is that there's some tools that we can look at, some God-honoring principles that can help. It won't make it go away. It won't mean everything will be easy, but it should be able to at least help. And better yet, the things we're going to look at today, these scriptural principles, these tools, they can help explosions from happening too. So this, this is big. This is important. And again, what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on our homes. Next week, we're going to talk about work, hard conversations at work. Today, we're going to focus on our homes, on our families, on our closest friends and relationships. How do we handle hard conversations well when it comes to our loved ones? That's what we're going to talk about today. These are important skills because if you have loved ones, you're going to have hard conversations. Isn't that right? If you have loved ones, you're going to have hard conversations. Here's just a couple examples to raise the stress level a little higher. Maybe you're in the midst of one of these. Hard conversations, ending a friendship or relationship. That's a hard conversation. Asking a friend to repay a loan, hard conversation. Asking a roommate to either step up or step out, hard conversation. Discussing any range of annoying behavior. Here's a couple more. How about this one? Discussing bad grades. That's no fun. Dealing with a rebellious teen is one of the most painful things you can go through. Dealing with a controlling parent. That's a tough conversation. Confronting a loved one about an unfulfilled promise. Let's look at just a few more, as if we're not feeling bad enough already. How about this? Resolving custody or visitation issues. So hard. Discussing concerns about sexual intimacy. So awkward. Discovering that you might have been lied to. Those are not fun conversations. Or is this one, confronting a loved one about pornography or substance abuse. We could do this all day, couldn't we? List these things. There, if you have loved ones, you're going to have hard conversations. And I think most of us would love to have some help when it comes to them. 
Here's uh, what I found in a, in a resource I was using to prepare for this week. This is a quote uh, from a book called Crucial Conversations, which we'll talk about in a minute. When our colleague, Howard Markman, examined couples in the throes of heated discussions, he learned that people fall into three categories. There's one, those who digress into threats and name-calling. Two, there's a category of those who revert to silent fuming. And three, there's those who speak openly, honestly, and effectively. How many of you want category three, right? We don't want to be in the category of threats and name-calling. We don't want to be in the category of silent fuming. I think all of us want to have conversations that are more often than not marked by honesty and openness and effectiveness. So we're going to spend the time we've got today, this morning, pointing you to biblical principles, practical resources that can help. They're not going to be 100% effective, but they'll increase our effectiveness. I believe that because I've seen it in my own life. Well, last week we opened our series with a thesis that went something like this. And there's a place to write this in your notes. If you're new to our church, we always try to include a a page to write some notes down. Our first thing to write down is this. The right conversation at the right time can honor God and bring you peace. The right conversation at the right time can honor God and bring you peace. Is there anyone in this room, and let's go for a show of hands here, is there anyone that would like to do a better job of honoring God with your hard conversations? All right. Absolutely. How about, is there anyone that would like to have those conversations have more peace than they usually do? All right. Then you're in good company because I'm, I'm right there with you. And if you walked into our basement right now, we, we try to do a little bit of cleanup, but if you walked into your base, our basement right now, you could feel the residue still there. You can smell it. You can, you can touch it. You can see it. And it's our hope as we talk about homes today that more and more and more our homes can be marked by peace. That when you walk into our homes, there's not the residue from the last argument. But you walk into the home and that's the past, and this is the future, and we move forward. That's our hope. And a number of you, we, we've had discussions, because I know a lot of your parents, we want our homes to be the place where our kids want to bring their friends, right? May I present to you that this is the number one thing you can do. This is better than any toy, any gadget at your house. If your fr- kids' friends know that this is a peaceful place, that they can come, that is one of the most attractive things there is. And if it's not, if it's a tense household, and they're not going to want to be there. So this has ramifications for just about everything. Let's dig into what the scriptures say. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd like to give you one free today. Each and every week, we keep a stack at that exit, and at this exit, please pick one up. It's yours to keep. There's also a link to a free online resource. It's a great one in your Bible as well, or in your bulletin as well, if you want to take a look. All right. We're going to look now at Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verses 1. Actually, just 1 here and 2. Therefore, it says in Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, the reason I wanted us to look at this section of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5 to start with, is if you go to the Bible, I don't know of a chapter in the entire Scripture that spends more time talking about family relationships than this chapter right here. I think this is as detailed as you're going to find in all of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5. And look how this section opens. It opens with, therefore, be imitators of God. It opens up with be like his beloved children because that's what you are. And walk as Christ did. Throughout today, you're going to see Christ, 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 Christ. Walk as Christ did as he laid down his life as an offering and a sacrifice to God. And the reason I'm laughing is because I'm thinking about yesterday. 
we spent, uh, with my 11-year-old and 13-year-old, we spent about six hours in the backyard raking. And my conversations weren't offerings to God that whole time. Would you just pick up the rake and go? You know, we have to remember the stuff that comes out of our mouths, right? It's an offering. It might be a really bad offering. I had some really bad offerings in the backyard at 5011 Turtle Lane. You know, we, we want to try the best we can to remember this is an opportunity here to offer something to God. It's an opportunity to offer ourselves, our tongues, our mouths to him. Let's jump ahead now to verse 15. And let's look at something that was written specifically for husbands and wives. This is Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go 15, 21, and 33. Here's a mashup. It says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Don't walk as the unwise. Walk as wise, submitting to one another out of reverence for whom? Christ. There it is. You're going to see it throughout this whole message. Reverence for Christ. Let each of you husbands love your wife as yourself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then these scriptures for husbands and wives, how do you treat one another? It flows right into a message for kids and their parents. Picking up chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it might go well with you. You might live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, to which Emma said, amen. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'm a huge fan of vision casting done well. Can you imagine this vision unfolding in your family that Paul lays out here? A home where husbands love their wives as they love themselves. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine a home where wives demonstrate the highest levels of honor and respect for their husbands? Imagine a family where kids dignify their parents' God-given role in their lives. Envision a family where parents don't nag their kids, but they model and they coach them towards Christ-likeness. May I present to you that doing hard conversations the right way is vital to that vision. Absolutely crucial. Well, in today's notes, we're going to list, well, we did list, two outstanding resources. Um, these are two of the best books I've read on the subject. Um, one is a book uh, called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. This is the best stuff I know of when it comes to uh, family relationships, husbands and wives. Outstanding book. Another one's called Crucial Conversations. Another outstanding, outstanding resource. Both of these are grounded in outstanding research. Consider this quote from the Gottman book. It says this. Think about the implications here. After years of research, I am now able to predict whether a couple will stay happily together or lose their way. I can make this prediction after listening to the couple interact in our love lab for as little as how long? Five minutes. And they're not just making this up. They did some research. Take a look. We, my accuracy rate in these predictions averages 91% over three separate studies. So this expert, he's saying, I can watch a couple interact. And sometimes as early, as few as five minutes, I can tell you whether they're going to make it or they're not going to make it. Do our conversations matter? Yes. 
Do our interactions matter? Yes. This is a big, big deal. Now, there's no skill set in the world that will always work in every conversation, but let's take a quick look at a few things, a few tools, of things that we can do to set our hard conversations up for success, and we're going to cram. Each one of these could be a message, but we're just going to cram them all together here just to throw some ideas out there. Number one is this. There's a place to write this down. Slow down. Slow down. Life in general is important to slow down. How many of you going to watch a little football tonight? Today, maybe, a little bit? All right. If two people just kind of bump into each other in the sidelines, no big deal, right? If they're running at full speed, collide, you can hear that up in the stands. High-speed collisions are more damaging, right? So just the speed of life is a big deal. But specific to this, have you ever tried to rush a hard conversation? Does it go well? No. You've got to slow down got to slow down. In fact, if you rush it, it's probably going to make it worse in the long run if you try to push it too fast. All right, number two, seek wise counselors. How do you want to have a hard conversation in a God-owning way? Seek wise counselors. And yeah, it, you could be the paid pros. They're great. But I'm just talking about anyone giving you wise counsel, including the Holy Spirit, right? Wise counselors. Now, here's where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go a little contrarian, more than a little contrarian. I don't hear people saying this. I have a big concern with venting the way most people vent. I think it's destructive. And I'm contrarian on this, but I think it's destructive. We're going to circle back to this as we talk about work next week, but I think it's too important to not talk about right now. Humans are really good at blame casting, aren't we? Really good at blame casting. We're daughters of Adam and Eve, and the first thing that happened when they had their first hard conversation with God was blame, right? We're the victim, they're the villain. And usually the way most venting works is you find someone who supports you and you pour everything out to them, right? Well, if they love you and they're hearing how horrible this person is, what are they going to do? They're going to tell you how horrible that person is. That's how most, vit- most um, venting works. We tend to see ourselves as the victim. We see someone else as the villain. And is it that simple, usually? No. This is why I want to encourage you to find wise counselors. A wise counselor will let you get it all out. A wise counselor will. They'll really listen and they'll really, really hear you. And a wise counselor, in a wise way, will begin to ask you some other questions. Tell me more about this. So what part do you think maybe you played in this situation? Do you think we could sit down with, have you talked to them yet? Could we sit down, do you see what a wise counselor does? And do you see how that could make a big, big, big difference in a hard conversation? And again, the Holy Spirit it's outstanding counselor in this way. But it's also important to have other people in our lives who provide wise counsel for us. And the wise counselor will also help us with number three. Number three is this. Clarify your motivations. If you want to have a hard conversation in a god way, you got it. And this is hard work here. Get to your motivation. Is your motivation to hurt them? Is your motivation to punish them in that conversation? Is your motivation to show I'm right, you're wrong? It usually is, isn't it? Right? If we're honest. If this is about winning, you winning and someone else losing, I can almost guarantee it's not going to end well. And it usually won't start well either. And that brings us to number four. How do you have a hard conversation in a God-honoring way? Avoid harsh startups. This was one of my favorite takeaways from that Gottman book, that language for harsh startups. I never had language for that before. Harsh startups. If you've seen it, you know it. 
Our startup is someone's got a hard message and you can see it when they're coming, right? Or you can hear it in their words. They got that edge to it or the volume. But it comes at you. They come at you or you come at them. Both of these books do an excellent job of showing what happens physiologically when someone comes at us. It is fight or flight, literally, literally. The resources that are supposed to go to our brain in the thinking part go other places, literally. And it prepares your body for battle. Look at what the research shows. This is not just um, speculation. Here's what the research shows. And they, this is like putting you know, blood pressure and everything else on you, right? The research shows if your discussion begins with a harsh startup, it will inevitably end on a negative note, even if there's a lot of attempts to make nice in between. Statistics tell the story. 96% of the time, you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of the 15-minute interaction. A harsh startup simply dooms you to failure. So if you begin a discussion in that way, you might as well pull the plug, take a breather, and start over. Isn't that true? So if you want to have a conversation go well, teenagers, same thing with you, you know, all of us, not hard startup. Hey, can we talk about something? Can we find a good time? I have something I'd like to talk to you about. Coming in, soft startup. Now, I want to move on to two other things, and I got these out of the Crucial Conversation book, at least the language for these, and oh, I wish I would have had this a year ago. I just read this book this spring. So good. Let's start with number five. How do we have a hard conversation got on way? Use contrasting as needed. Oh, I love contrasting. I'll tell you why I love contrasting. Because it enables you to say what you're really thinking and feeling instead of stuffing it. And it enables you to be really respectful of the other person and attentive to where they're at. A contrasting is just a contrast. It's where you come in the hard conversation. You said, I'm not saying this. Here's what I'm trying to say. Need it all the time. Use it all the time. Um, a lot of us, we got a lot of high-capacity people here. We have a lot of people working a lot of wor hours, working really hard. A typical hard conversation to have in our families, right, is what do we do here? We're working so many hours. I feel like there's not a time, time for the family. Contrasting, right? Hey, what I'm not saying is that I don't want you to be successful. I want you to be successful. I want you to do great. I want you to give your best work at work. What I am saying is I'm concerned about our family, what kind of priority this is. Do you see how you, you can just use that tool? It's, it's an amazing tool to help bring down the temperature, to really make sure that you're being heard while really addressing their, their questions and their concerns. And that brings us to number six. Let's take a look at this. Number six, how do you have a hard conversation God on any way? Restore safety as needed. This is essential. If there's no safety, there's no conversation. Restore safety as needed. When you feel safe, think about this, you can talk to almost anyone about almost anything. That seemed like an overstatement until I really thought about it. It's true. If you feel like what you're going to say is going to be confidential, if you feel like what you're going to say, you're not, not going to be judged, if you feel like that person cares about you, they want the best for you, you can say just about anything to just about anybody, right? Take away the safety. Then what happens? You feel like you can't say anything. When there's safety, you can use all the wrong words. But it's okay because you're going to get through that. If there's not safety, you can have a lawyer draft every word. It doesn't matter. People won't trust you. 
Safety is huge. And so what's important then, you get into a hard conversation, if you start to see that person doesn't feel safe, you need to be attentive to that. And that can take all kinds of different cues. It can take fight. They're getting angry. Whoa, that's actually a sign of not feeling safe. They're feeling threatened somehow, and they've got to power up. It can also be withdrawing. As soon as you start to see the whatever, they don't feel safe. Their opinion doesn't matter. You don't care. So our job in these conversations, these hard conversations, is often to restore that safety. I can tell, wait a minute, I, I said something that hurt. Can you tell me more about that? Kids checking our motivations at the door. Do we really want to reconcile or not? Are we really going to listen? Do we really care about what's going on inside of them or don't we? You see how that works? Now, again, we just took years and years and years and compressed it down, mostly because I think most of you know all these things anyway. Here's the one I want to spend just a little bit extra time on, even though I wish you could spend a lot of little extra time on. Number seven. This is the money one right here. How do you have a hard conversation at God-honoring way? Extend the grace that your Savior extends to you. Now, before you write this off as Christianese, this is the most important one. Extending the grace that our Savior extended to us. If your goal is to get good at winning arguments, take a debate class and watch your relationships blow up. If your goal is to honor God and experience more peace, extend the grace that your Savior extends to you. Here's why this matters. Will people let you down? If so, say yes. Yes, people will let you down. Will people make mistakes? Yes. Will people say things about you that they shouldn't have said? Yes. Will people fall short? Yes. Will people say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Yes. Will people lie and spread gossip? Yes. And will people jump to conclusions? Yes. Here's why the gospel, the good news, what God did for us, the grace of Jesus Christ, here's why this matters. How about you? Will you ever let someone down? If so, say yes. Yes. Will you ever make mistakes? If so, say yes. Will you say things about others that you shouldn't have said? Yes. Will you ever fall short of their expectations? Yes. Will you ever say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Yes. And this one's hard, but let's be honest. Will you ever lie or spread gossip? Yes. None of us intend to, but we all will. And will you ever jump to conclusions? Yes. You see how this matters? Why grace matters? Because if you are always jumping on the people who say the wrong thing at the wrong time, if you've got no grace for somebody who makes a mistake, if you had someone lie, gossip about you, and you come down and lower the boom, what should you expect? When, not if, when you do it. What if we didn't do what comes naturally? What if we did what can come supernaturally as Christ is formed in us? as we let this gospel, this good news, really take root in our lives. The good news of what God in Christ did on our behalf. This week was fun, not because <laughs> it wasn't fun, because it was really hard on me to think, oh yeah, I fall short here, 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 here. But it wasn't fun even in so much of these tools are awesome tools and I love to talk about them. I ended up, instead of spending lots of time on the tools, smooshed them down, 
because I felt the Spirit say, take a look at Ephesians earlier. Ephesians 2. Take a look at this. This is what our situation is in God's eyes. Sin really comes naturally, and we're under the loving watch of a loving God who sees it all. And he sees the stuff that no one else sees, including things you might not even know that we're doing. We live in a broken world, and we got broken mouths that do a lot of messy things. And we deserve God to just come and smite us. But look at this, Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Again, we're born into this world as sons of daughters of Adam and Eve. They were the first family to really respond poor in a hard conversation. They followed in the footsteps of God's adversary, and when we do the same, we become objects of wrath. God would be completely justified in wiping us off the face of the earth. That's what we deserve. He'd be completely justified. Yet how did God respond to our mistakes? But God. You see the beauty of that next, those words? That's, That's what comes next here. We were dead. We deserved wrath. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. Can you imagine how different our families would be if we tried to live out this but God peace, this gospel peace? Can you imagine the new life that we could breathe into our relationships if we didn't fire back when fired upon, if we followed the example of Jesus Christ? He had every right to come into this world when he walked among us and just said, you know what, I'm coming back, and when I do, oh. Instead, he died for us. Imagine the power of that in your life. Imagine if you lived in a house where when you were at your worst, someone was at their best. Imagine that. Imagine being a, a, a husband, and you, and, you, and you say, I was inconsiderate and forgetful, but my wife responded with patience and understanding. Imagine being a wife, And you said, I was rude and selfish, but my husband responded with kindness and respect. Imagine your child saying, I was disrespectful and disobedient, but my parents didn't fire back. I was foolish. I made big mistakes, but my father welcomed me home. Show of hands, who would want to be in a family like that where at our worst, someone rose up and they were at their best? Can you imagine that? And hear this gospel. This is the good news of what God did through Jesus Christ. Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your doing. You didn't earn this. It is a gift of God. It is not the result of your works, of getting all your words right, or getting all your things right, or getting a soft startup. It's not the result of any of that. 
so that no one may boast. We're his workmanship. We're created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we might do them. You and I are recipients of an amazing gift, an undeserved gift. And every single one of us has opportunities every single day to extend that gift to others, don't we? Every day. You will have an, un an opportunity to extend unmerited grace today. Someone's going to do something that does not deserve grace. And you'll have an opportunity. And probably before the sun sets today, someone else will have an opportunity to extend grace to you. Oh, wow. Well, here's the last time, the last point I want to make this morning to which people said amen. Here's the deal. Jesus wasn't soft. If you're sitting there thinking, hey, this is all about just being mushy, you let people run over you, this is not about this at all. That's not Christ-like. And here's the thing I'd encourage you to write down before we close. Jesus wasn't soft when it came to hard words. But there was no mistaking that his absolute truth was offered along with amazing grace. Isn't that true? He brought hard words. He brought hard words. But he brought them with grace. It came from this centered place of above and beyond anything else. I care for you. So let's go full circle with this thing. The purpose of this fire extinguisher was to protect our house, not mess everything up. The purpose of our words are an opportunity to bring grace, bring healing, bring restoration. What if we let that gospel of Jesus Christ change us where we really, each and every day, it doesn't just apply to this, it applies to everything. It was, we, we thought, okay, this, I live in a but God world. I deserve this, but God did this. And we let that change us from the inside. Then what comes out? Good stuff, right? Instead of a mess. So let's pray to that end as we close. Father, we are so thankful that you give us an invitation to be born again because we need to be born again and again and again and again and again when it comes to our mouths. Father, I pray that you'll help each and every one of us figure out what you would have us to do so that we are not just close to the gospel every day, but we're reflecting on it day in and day out. Remind us, remind us, remind us of what you did for us, though we didn't deserve it. And let that change our hearts, let that change our minds as we yield our lives to you so that what is inside is more of you and less of us. And when it comes out, it does the things that you did so well, bringing hard words in the context of grace. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, that right here in this time, in this moment, we would yield ourselves fully to you, that we would confess the sins that you've already seen, cry out for our need for you and your salvation. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. You're our hope. You're our defense. Remember, help us remember that. There's people here. We need to know that. You're our defense. We don't have to defend ourselves. You're our defense. Help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're talking, applying this stuff to work. So I hope you can make it to there. If you'd like to pray with someone about this or anything, people love to pray with you that too. God bless you. Have a great, uh, great week.